the hard yes. What is up, everybody? Welcome to Comic Book Club. I'm Alex. Justin. I'm Pete. And we are coming to you live from a couple of places on the internet. We're live over at Crowdcast, also live over at YouTube, the Tube, or we're coming to you later on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your fine podcasts. It's all good with us, brah. But Only the finest of podcasts for me, please. <laughs> Top shelf for you! Speaking of which, why don't we start off with tonight's drink. Now, as frequent listeners slash watchers of the show know, Brett Macris, a.k.a. Stray Bullies, a.k.a. Stray Bullet, a.k.a. PP. Is that right, Pete? Am I getting what? it? What? No, I don't no. know. Is Rolling that a different podcast? Yeah, it's a you different You like to shout stuff when I'm talking, so I'm starting to lose track a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, we insulted Stray Bullet. This is, a, this is a joke for a Riverdale podcast, but it confused everybody. Anyway, he has been curating a drink for us every week. This week, we've gone back to the Gotham City cocktail book. And this week we're doing a Lazarus, a drink that will bring you back to life, whether you're Ra's al Ghul or racing children on your own right now, like Justin. That's good. I like Um, it. Uh, My Lazarus pit is just laying down in my um, gin bath. (laughs) It's very good, by the way. uh, The fancy part is you take a absinthe wash on your glass. But other than that, it is gin, contro, uh, dry vermouth, and I ended up, I didn't have any lemons around, so I used lime juice. Just as good. It's supposed to be lemon mm. juice, though, but uh, mm. it's still very tasty. Nice. Wow. Really shaking it up. Well, uh, speaking of shaking things up, uh, Alex, who the fuck are you? And, uh, you know, you're just going to change glasses and act like nothing happened? What the fuck, man? Pete's been very thrown. We've talked about this already this week because I got entirely different black you frames ask. you didn't talk to us yeah. about it you didn't give us a heads up yes so just, I, just to give you if you, in case you're listening to the podcast and this is very apropos of comic books which we talk about uh and fashion we usually have a fashion section on the mm, show. yes uh, the previously i had black frame glasses that were rectangular in shape they were a little angled on the side and now i've switched over to something entirely different which is black frame glasses a little bit rectangular in the shape with angled on the side and it, it's really throwing pete yeah, I don't know who you are or where the real Alex is, but I want him back. The frames Pete, are slightly I support thicker. you in everything and agree with all of your opinions. Uh oh, this is a different guy. Oh, boy. This is some sort of Clark Kent situation. Exactly. Uh, we've got here. <laughs> who is I can't this tell guy? this guy apart. Now, what? Would, so I guess for you undersighted folks, you're, when changing glasses is like a big deal, right? Yeah. I sorry, I have perfect, perfect vision. I know so you point it out to us every five seconds. I will say, I will say uh, this, uh, I don't think this is a big deal style-wise as Pete is saying. However, this is, these glasses are actually tight to my head. Do your Uh, kids recognize you? Um, no, I haven't seen them in weeks, to be honest with you. Uh, But it's starting to hurt my head a little bit. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe I got to go to the eye doctor or something like that. Your brain is popping out of your ears. I meant to tell you that (laughs) from being squeezed by the epic pressure of those, uh, Warby Parker specs, the sweet specs. Exactly. All right. Why don't we move on talk about something else here? We have been asking you all for comments over on Apple podcasts, leave a rating, leave a comment, request a book for us to review in our stack podcast. We've got a new comment here. I wanted to read. This is from sky juggler who says a well oiled machine of a podcast. Uh. 
Go back and invest in listening to the years Alex, Justin, and Pete have put into making hysterical and informative podcast. You'll learn new words and phrases that you'd never think you want to know. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Yep. I'd love to hear what the CBC guys think of a serious polyp and or any of the Carl Barks, Don Rosa duck comics. Uh, Love all of those because we couldn't do everything this week. We are going to talk about Asterius Polyp by David Mazzuccelli. That's going to be on our Stack podcast, which posts in its own feed and the Comic Book Club feed Wednesdays at 9 a.m. So we're going to actually do that this week. Very excited to revisit that. One of the best, not to spoil it, but one of the best graphic novels of all time. So. Oh, Wow. Wow. I mean, it is what? widely recognized as one of the best graphic novels. Really spoiling our potential. Not not even, maybe I hate it. Uh, who knows what I think? I'm God, just saying, man, generally speaking, have, in the world. We're going to have it's, some words. Oh, you don't like and, it because there's nudity, Pete. I want to shout out that comment, not especially because for a long time, we were just an oiled machine. And then we started to be well-oiled. And that changed the entire <laughs> It really thing. is. One we were too oiled. We were We were slip sliding all over the place. In that first year or so. But we started as a Speedo oiled up wrestling show and then eventually got into uh, comic books. That's not true at all. If you'd like us to get into a choice of comic book, again, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a rating, five stars, preferable, as well as a comment, and we will review something of your request on an upcoming Stack Podcast. But we're going to bring in our first guest here. He is the creator of Uncovered Grave, a new comic. Uh, and it is very spooky. I'm very scared to talk about it. Sean Dicker, hello. Hey, Hey, everybody. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my gosh. Thanks for coming on. Excited to talk about Uncovered Grave. So you've been trying to push out the promo for this book. It's very spooky. It's very scary, like I said. Um, Tell us a little bit about the concept of the book. Um, So Uncovered Grave, it's about a murder mystery set in a small town back in the 1950s um it's a cold case so the murder actually took place in 1930 um and it's about this detective detective david herring uh trying to figure out what happened to a classmate of his lily hill um and it ties into friendship and legacy and regret um it's a really personal story for me oh wow I, I just wanted to say uh, real quick, like uh, we read a lot of like horror kind of scary stuff. And uh, I really appreciate it. As someone who's not a huge fan of horror uh, in all the heart and the stuff that you can kind of connect to. So even if you're like scared of these type of books, there's really a, a lot to offer here. And I really appreciated the, not just the horror, but uh, the story is really impressive. Yeah, I appreciate that. I kind of wanted to make it almost like a psychological uh, thriller almost. Um, A lot of people, when they look at my artwork, they're like, oh, yeah, like you should just be drawing horror for your entire career. Like, don't worry about that. So I really wanted (laughs) to steer directly into my noir roots um, and make it visually dynamic and spooky. Now, when you approach just uh, like a panel, let's say, um, how do you add that extra sort of tension and horror to uh, to uh, like a panel on a panel by panel basis? Because I feel like you do such Uh a good job in this book doing that. Thank you. That means a lot. Uh, For starters, uh, you can do a lot with uh, camera height and how you frame a shot. Uh, Psychologically speaking, um, when you are looking up at somebody, you, the viewer, are going to 
think of them as like larger than life. Uh, you're sight, like subconsciously thinking you're below them. Um, so in certain instances, like you want to make the viewer seem like this person's really scary. They're larger than life. Other times you want to put it on eye level so the reader can connect with them more visually. And then other times you want to be above them. Uh, so you're looking down on them. They're really small, um, kind of like the world is like closing in on them almost. And that's kind uh, so, of all I try to add tension. I'm so glad you said that because I, that was, I feel that. And looking through it now in the panels that Alex is showing here, I feel like you also vary the angle a lot. So it's unsettling, even though you know, a lot of this is people talking, but it's still like, you're like, there's a tension throughout. And I think it's really, really subtle what you do. It's great. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. I know like uh, the majority of the book is like, people sitting in a room trying to figure out something that happened a long time ago. Um, so I wanted to make it visually appealing for everybody uh, who's reading the book. I wanted to make sure that it's fun to read um, as long as everybody's still solving the mystery, you know? Now you correct me if I'm wrong here, but you don't have this as a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo or anything like that. You're just, you're just trying to build buzz for the book. Why? Why go this route in terms of promotion versus the crowdfunding route? Uh, I was approached by Dauntless uh, and Marcus over there, and they asked me to uh, do this book as their first serial book. So nice. every two weeks, a new chapter comes out. So six pages comes out. Um, and I really liked the concept. I wanted to be able to get the book right into fans' hands when it's done as I'm doing it and I try to give everybody some bonus content, um, whether it's like a look behind the scenes, uh, some character designs, like how I design my covers and my cool. thought process behind that part of the creation process, or like a step-by-step -step breakdown of how I make the visual storytelling in a page work. Uh, kind of like how I was just talking about with uh, the varying camera angles to add like a psychological effect. Um, so that's kind of what drove me into wanting to partner with Dauntless for this. I wanted to do something big and bold and experimental. Uh, this is my first comic ever solo. Uh, so wow. I really wanted to take a risk and do something really cool and something that intrigued me. Uh, and I mean, I get to appear on all of these cool podcasts and hang out. With all <laughs> nah. I think that's just part of the fun of it all we actually hear that a lot of comic book creators don't even like making the comic books they just do it for the podcasts yeah, do it yeah for the podcast, podcast bait podcast bait <laughs> I, I just make comic books so i can talk to people and fill my ego <laughs> i do podcasts well, for it. kind of the same reason so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> wow uh, so given this, this is the pace that you're releasing it at how far ahead do you need to be working in terms of the release schedule so little known fact, I'm actually doing it live. Um, as wow. I'm, as the chapters are coming out, I am doing the project uh, on the biweekly system. Uh, I do it biweekly so I can still take on some paid work, uh, pay the bills and whatnot, and make sure that everybody gets this awesome book. I'm really proud of Uncovered Grave, but uh, I want to make sure that I give myself enough time to make each page as extraordinary as the readers deserve. And wow, that, is that yeah, go ahead. 
ramp up the pressure? Do you feel like it, sort of working so close to? Oh to yeah, um, yeah, because <laughs> you seem pretty chill about it. If I could just say. Oh oh no, I'm not chill about it. <laughs> I'm doing uh, the writing, the drawing, uh, wow. and the coloring, inking, all of it. I've written everything beforehand, so luckily I'm not writing everything. Good, thank you, smart. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm just drawing it uh, bi-weekly, but uh, it's definitely stressful. But the way my brain works, like the stress helps fuel me. And mm. I can feel myself leveling up with each chapter and feeling uh, myself get more comfortable and uh, loving what I'm doing each more with each page. So oh. as hard as it can be it's also even more fun because of that that's yeah, like a method drawing process where you're like well i want this to be tense so i'm gonna be tense for a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i there have definitely been nights where well days really i've definitely pulled like a 60 hour day oh man. Know, <laughs> that's more than two days <laughs> oh yeah uh I deadline got close and I was like, okay, I got to get this done. And I want to make sure like I'm not cutting corners and making sure it still looks good. Yeah. Oh, was um, that real quick? Was that the chapter where the characters went into a dark cave where there was no light and you couldn't see them? Oh uh, yeah. It was <laughs> oh, okay, great. Okay. Um, uh, just, just, a, just a heads up for you. If you're awake for more than three days, you're legally insane. Oh, that's fun. <laughs> Well, just, you know, for future yeah. deadlines, you know what I mean? Like, take care of yourself, please, you know? Yeah, yeah. That I, I was doing it weekly. Uh, it started affecting, like, my personal life, so that's why I moved over to the bi-weekly I bet. Uh, system. Yeah. And it's gone so much better now that I'm doing it bi-weekly. Um, and it gives me more time to make sure that all of the pages are exactly the way I want them. Um, and because it's my first book and I'm asking readers to take a, a big leap with me, uh, on this experimental process, again, it's my first book. I don't have like a lot of like cred or like anything like a track record to really have readers go off of. Um, so I want to make sure that I'm giving them a quality product and that there's something that it's, they're proud that they put their money towards this. That's awesome. That's awesome. Do you have, uh, is there a end in sight or is this no man, this is my, this is the rest of my life. Every two weeks, I'm going to be putting out <laughs> several pages um, of this book. So it's going to be four issues in total, uh, 16 mm -hmm. chapters. Um, and issue two just wrapped up. So we're halfway through the book. All right. Um, and I, when I first started writing this book, I started with the ending. Uh, so now we're getting to all of the stuff that I really wanted to draw and I was really excited to write about. Um, and that's why I'm even more jazzed and more excited to get to this last half of the book. Cause this is where all the twists get revealed and like yes. all the clues that I've been hiding in the book, like start paying off. Um, and the big twists at the very end, I'm not going to spoil anything, but yeah, please. I started with that ending twist and I kind of like worked my way towards the beginning of the story. Uh, we got a little bit of a challenge here on the YouTube comments. Ramsey Hassan says manga creators produce 20 pages a week of quality manga. All right, all right. So, let's take it easy. Come on. Let's he's not, like, already pushing himself I mean, to two, the My edge. two thoughts are, one, pick up the pace, buddy. The other thought is uh, quality manga? I mean, that's debatable. I what? Think. Come on, dude. I'm I, just saying, well, not everybody is pumping out 20 awesome pages every single week. I have a lot of respect for all of the manga artists, but if you look 
at their health records. A lot of them are not doing well health-wise. <laughs> oh, no. So I wish I could just shake all of my favorite manga artists and be like, take care of yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Wait another week for another chapter of One Piece. Like, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, just take care Good of lessons. yourself. We'll be all right. And where can people check out this book if they want to take a look at it? Um, they should take a look at it. So you can pre-order the physical copy uh, on Donless's website. You can also find uh, just the digital tier if you want that. Uh, each or every two weeks, uh, directly to your email, another chapter will come out. Uh, so that's uh, Donless.com. You can find that. And also on my Twitter, uh, at Dicker Tweets, I talk about the book all the time i'm trying to build some buzz around it um and i want to get into as many people's hands as possible Uh, i think we have 60 physical copies left to sell and then wow that's great no more physical copies so i want to make sure that everybody can get a hold of the book if they want it Hmm. physical Mm -hmm. copies are like the original nfts (laughs) (laughs) alex we got to research this week and we're also doing a promo contest for the book. Um, so, so far in the first seven chapters, I think I've hidden 32 clues. Ooh, wow. Um, in the first issue, I think there's 20. Um, That's a lot so of clues. <laughs> if anybody can solve what's going on before the end of the book, the first person who solves it gets the first page of the comic. Um, sent to them for the original art. Uh, oh, that's awesome. I love, I love that. That's, cool. that's very Yeah, cool. I, I love having originals. I want like to reward my fans, especially the ones that go back and reread and like l- start picking through the backgrounds, trying to find all these clues that I've hidden throughout. Um, second place gets a uh, commission from me, no matter mm-hmm. like whatever awesome. you want, I'll draw it for you. And uh, the third person gets a signed copy of the book sent to them. Oh, I thought you were going to say third place gets fired, but all right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I thought you were going to say third place. Uh, yeah, here's my commission. Actually, I should say, um, I just want you to take a nice long sleep. Uh, <laughs> I, want, I want an excellent nap. <laughs> uh, from you. But uh, let me just shout out the book one more time because, like, it's meticulously done. And I don't know if that's what go, a sixty-hour work day is what. Um, you put in and out comes these uh, panel by panel like pieces like the the each panel really has such intention to it. And I feel like that's you don't always see that in comics, especially when people are like, I got to race through this. So the the time taken here is well spent. So I would shout out this book in a big way. Yeah. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Yeah, absolutely. Sean, thank you so much for coming on. Such a yeah, pleasure. Congratulations, pleasure chat. man. Good luck on the uh, last lap here as you finish up the book. Thank you so much. Have a good day. Have a good one, man. Yeah. Uh, There you go. Sean Dicker halfway through today's work day, getting ready for another 15 to 20 hours of it. So that's very exciting. But check out Uncovered (laughs) Grave available right now. And we... I've been wanting to do an Uncovered Grave for when I die. Oh, really? Yeah, I think they leave me open to the world. Uncovered Grave is like the it's like the open faced sandwich of funerals. Exactly, and I want to shake it up. Everyone's like, put the top of the put the top slice of bread on me, bury it down. I want people to come by, drop in a memento. Yeah, great. I'll like I'll have a place. I'll I'll put half a cheesesteak in there with you. 
When you yes, say drop it in Memento, you mean a VHS copy of Memento, the right? movie Memento. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay. I that's just wanted to make sure. I don't want to. I don't want to bring the wrong thing. That would be so embarrassing. Yeah, that would be embarrassing. <laughs> if you drop the wrong thing in my open grave, that would be sad. All right. Here's something that's not sad. Our next guest who has a Kickstarter running right now that's been super successful for, I'm going to mangle this, but Osama Tezuko's Unico, Samuel Satin. Welcome to the stream. Hello. How much of that did I get wrong? First of all, did I get your name? Is it Satin? It's Satin. Yeah. Okay. I got that part right. Yes. yes, but the project is so cool. It is a reboot, a manga reboot. Speaking of manga, I don't know uh, if you guys have been doing... You're insulted everyone. <laughs> 20 pages a day. Uh, but you're doing a reboot of, is it Osamu Tezuka's Unico? It, it, it's, it, it, you know, I've heard it a lot of ways, but I learned when I was over at Tezuka Productions, it's Tezuka. That's what they like Tezuka. Tezuka. So it's okay. just like... Okay, now I know for sure. Um, yeah, so but but I've heard, people, but a lot of people say Tezuka, so um, it's including in Japan. You don't you don't need to make me feel better, but thank you so much. <laughs> uh, but let's talk about this project. This is with uh, one of my favorites, Curry Hiru, is doing the art here. Uh, this is an amazing reboot. I'm watching the numbers tick up right now. Your goal for the Kickstarter was fifty thousand. You are almost at a hundred thousand right Woo-hoo! now. As of this. Yeah. So yes. tell us a little bit about this project. Tell us where it started. Actually, Justin, do you want to... You were telling us a story before we went live. About... Uh, a light, very light story. It was a light um, story. Unico um, mm-hmm. is... Uh, we were my... Uh, we, we watched um, The Last Unicorn a lot uh-huh. growing up. Yeah. Um, and we were like, oh, let's show this to our kids. And we ended up finding Unico, and they became obsessed with Unico. <laughs> so we like stumbled upon it just like on uh, trying to find uh, the last unicorn, and now it's something that we're like, let's watch the unicorn movie, and then now it's part of our lives. That's really fascinating, actually, because you know, honestly, like the last unicorn was actually done in part by a Japanese studio. Yes, and yeah. so it's like which is kind of like one of those things that's they're trying to. I think some folks are trying to do a resurgence of it right now to. The, a gallery or something like that but yeah it was done by a japanese studio and unico and the last unicorn have way more in common than say unico and and my little pony or, or something like that yeah right they're far, those two films are far those two stories are far more similar in what they're trying to get across well and like re-watching it as an adult i was like oh this is all bright and fun and incredibly scary and dark at the same time <laughs> <laughs> the, word, the word that we keep on getting from everybody that we talk to that everybody has seen because uh, most people know unico from the films that came out in the, the two films that came out in the 80s um and the word that we get most often is traumatizing yeah. <laughs> um, i mean but they also they also like love them it's like one of those things yeah. like you know when i was growing up for me it was um i saw unico then i saw you know last unicorn never ending story of things course. like this that were yeah. just incredible but also you know oh mess, yeah mess with you so uh you yeah know, it is funny. This is very off that, but I think about this a lot now having kids where everybody is trying to recapture that feeling of like exactly what you're talking about, like never ending story. And I remember seeing that and sobbing when the wolf came out and everything. And everybody's like, oh, we got to do that again. We really got to traumatize kids and do this stuff. And uh, having kids are like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we don't. Maybe we don't need to. No, do that. Maybe we need yeah. to. We the do. part where he's like, "These look like strong hands," still breaks me to the yeah. day. <laughs> They're great movies. Don't get me wrong. 
yeah, when Artax dies in the swamps of sadness, when the, when the, yeah. when the horse yeah. dies. That's like, the real mm-hmm. moment. That's the one. Oh, and it's God. like, um, yeah, no, it's, it's one of those questions that I think that I, I wonder, like, if films like that were to come out today, would they be considered exclusively children's films? Well, the one, this is, again, getting far afield, and then I want to get back to your book. Sorry. I've talked about this on the show before, but uh, I took my kids to see Shazam because everybody was like, oh, it's a great family movie. It's like these 80 movie, 80s movies that we used to go see. And me not thinking in my head, like, that means trauma. And there's a scene <laughs> in Shazam, in, if you haven't seen the movie, where they're in the boardroom, the seven deadly sins come out, and they're kind of like the devil dogs from Ghostbusters. And they yeah. just go in, and they're, like, legitimately ripping people's heads off and spitting them out. And people are jumping out of windows and screaming. And my kids had never seen anything like this and just started literally screaming and sobbing. And the theaters are like, we need to go. We need to go. They bring it up once a week. They're like, hey, remember when you took us to see Shazam? And my son now, who's seven, has gotten super into the Marvel movies and keeps asking about the DC movies. And whatever he asks about the DC movies, he's like, but I shouldn't see those, right? Those are really scary. And I'm There's like, a darkness there, there, father. Yeah. I'm like, yes. no, nah, man, let's watch Batman v Superman. It's my favorite movie. Oh, let's go. Exactly. <laughs> Just a bright, Don't fun do movie like Batman Don't v Superman. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> Why don't we talk about Utico? Because yes. the project is great. Where did it initially start taking the idea to take these movies, take this uh, anime style, and turn it into a manga? So the first one, well, so actually, so Unico, for, the, for those who might not uh, know, Unico actually started out as a manga. It was actually mm. serialized from 1974 to 1976. Um, and it's in the, the films kind of borrow from the arcs in that manga and they take it forward. Um, it was created in um, conjunction with Sanrio, actually, when it first came out. And Tezuka was considered to be the god of manga in Japan, like kind of the one who created. People mostly know him. Can, here in the U.S. for Astro Boy, right? right yeah. uh, but it's you know he's also the the depth of his the span of his work is is incredibly large, right? In terms of what he's done, so Unico was one of these characters that he created in conjunction with Sanrio, and it kind of took on its life life of its own. And because it was a Tezuka story, it does include a lot of themes of um trauma and and and, tra- and 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 you know difficulty and the idea of like the the dual the dual you know um the duality of love and beauty and all these different things that are really complex for young for young readers so a lot of people especially in japan grew up reading that book and kind of internalized that and then i came over to the united states via the films mostly which were pretty right. pretty big mm-hmm. here and so like i had seen the films when i was younger um, but I kind of, so I, I became a hugely obsessed with Jessica's work over a little over a decade ago. And I said, I to read whatever I could. And when I went to the Tezuka museum in Takarazuka, which is, which is around Tokyo, like, um, there was this, I saw more stuff about Unico and I kind of started to learn more about the character. And, um, I started reading more of the original stories, which were interesting because they were full color. Which is kind of unusual for him. Oh, for him yeah. That's why we're actually yeah. doing this in color because the original was actually read left to right in Ooh. Japan and was a color book. And so it's like, you know, it's really beautiful. If you ever get a chance to look at it, it's gorgeous. It's a gorgeous, actually, well, I know this is a podcast, but I have it, I have it near me, but if um, anyone wants to. Show, yeah, I want to. I say, I say um, put it up there for my own selfish end. Awesome. Yeah, yes. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, it's really, it's really, stuff to show off. Like really, you know, beautiful 
um, full color art. That is beautiful. Oh yeah, look yeah. At that. So it's like really, it's it's kind of unusual, Ooh, look at for that audio, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And so, um, yeah. And so anyway, so so seeing this and like I ended up working. Um, long story short, I. Ooh. Oh no, that yes, was a short story. story. <laughs> yeah, the shortest story I've ever heard. Yeah. Oh, did I, did I cut out? Yeah, you fro- you said long story second. short and then completely froze. And we were like, no, no, right. I'm so sorry. Very <laughs> sorry. Back? You're back. Yeah, you're back. Yeah, no, you're back. You're good. Um, so long story short, my friend Deb Aoki, uh, who's uh, you probably she's a writer. She writes about manga a lot. She also does the podcast Manga Explaining. She introduced me to some people who um, a guy named Vince Shortino who knows people over at Tezuka, and um, they asked about. You know, they were. I, I learned they were accepting pitches for their character adaptations, so I sent mm-hmm. them a pitch for Unico, and uh, somehow they accepted it. Wow, um, that and yeah, and from there we went into the process of uh, getting the license, and then and then working to get an artist on board, uh, working with different people for that, and um, and this might be in your future. Another question you might ask: When Gudehido actually turned it down the first time. Oh really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Why is that? For a few reasons. Like one reason is because it's a big responsibility to to do it to do a Tezuka comic in a Tezuka adaptation in Japan. Because if you think about it, it's kind of like um, people call some people in the United States. They say like he's the Walt Disney of Japan. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I don't think it's that one to one. It's almost like he's Walt Disney and Jack Kirby and a couple of other like you know right people put together because he did all sorts of things and, and it's just like it's not he started anime he started manga modern manga he started you know he did a lot of stuff <laughs> right yeah. yeah so um yeah so oh sorry go ahead no i was, was gonna say just jumping between different mediums feels like it's yeah, yeah jumping these different people like it's someone who could sort of do it all yeah absolutely could do it all and his stories were both for adults and for kids and for all over the like you know all all over the middle so um they were a little intimidated by the idea of like taking on the project and also they didn't know if they were going to be able to put their style on it because they wanted to make sure that you know they could do it and have creative freedom but thankfully working with Tezuka Productions has been really great and they encourage uh, everybody to have creative freedom and really uh, push things forward and they and that's what they like to do, which is so cool. So they gave us like the ability to really explore the, what we wanted to explore with the character. That's awesome. And so how will you be traumatizing us um, with the book now? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, well, I mean, well, the thing is, again, I think it's, we we were both talking about this. It's actually really funny because you had a really cool, uh, Sean Dicker was the artist's name. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 And the comics, the comics really great. And like a horror comic, and both Goodyear and I—I I didn't know this until recently—are big. Horror, I knew about myself, but not about Goodyear. <laughs> They're big horror fans. We oh. both really like horror, and actually, and, and which you would not be able to tell from looking at Goodyear's art. There's yeah. it's really funny. Pretty bright, yeah. Pretty bright and pretty joyous, and like, but you know, uh, they're a, they're a big horror enthusiast. <laughs> and so the yeah. thing is that, and some people have described Unico as horror for kids in oh. some sort of way. Like, it's like, because it's not, I mean, it is a bright tale, but it also has moments of exceptional darkness. It's about a, yeah. you know, it's about a, for for those who do not, don't know, it's about a small unicorn who angers the gods uh, because mm-hmm. of his ability to spread kindness and, yeah. and, 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 and love. And because of that, the goddess Venus, who's the, the 
the goddess of you know love and beauty basically wants to have him destroyed wants to have him obliterated so she has her servant carry him through time and space and make him forget everything he is and then he ends up and then servant the west wind her servant ends up taking uh pity on him and saying i'm gonna hide you from the gods and let you kind of live out but the only way to do that is whenever you spread your power of love you're going to awake attract the gods i have to erase your memory again and take you to another place so it's basically yeah. this kind of like constant um it's, it's a sad story in a way constant yeah. punishment and and super yeah. innocent as well where it's just like you're like oh and then it's just kind of bad things keep happening it's it's a very sad it's it's a sad story right and yeah. so and, and, and the cool thing is though that we um for this version tezuka productions well we can't share too I'm not sure how much you can share about that but we're allowed to explore the larger universe of unico and maybe beyond because the story actually never tezuka never ended the story yeah, Ooh. and so um, and that would be neat to end the story. So, uh, cool. Well, uh, tell us a little bit about the Kickstarter. What can people expect if they head over there? Um, I think they can expect some awesome, some awesome stuff. <laughs> Just great stuff. It's, gonna be, it's a great, great. Kickstarter. Um, and uh, basically, uh, one of the great things that we have is because so starting this Kickstarter, we ended up getting. Um, it ended up kind of being very celebratory because a lot of artists, especially artists in Japan, were had really you know fond and lasting memories of Unico from when they were kids. So we were able to talk to artists like uh, Kamomi Shirahama, who does Witch Hat Atelier, um, and and she agreed to do a piece of the project. We have Akira Himakawa, who does uh, uh, Legend of Zelda. Uh, manga, and then we have Peach Momoko, which you're going through right now, and, and yeah, Peach yeah. did three prints for uh, for the campaign, so cool. which is just so, cool. so, and they're so beautiful. And I mean, yeah. I'm sure you guys like know about and like. I mean, are you are you, are you all uh, Peach Momoko fans? Yeah, we've yeah. been talking about the Demon Days thing in uh, particular, which yeah. is from Marvel. If anybody hasn't been checking that out, which is so cool. Yeah, it's incredible. And so she did these three incredible prints for Unico, and like. And as she said, I think, in, uh, she, and she even gave a quote about it for how it kind of impacted her when she was when she was young. And then we had some American artists as well that were uh, participated um, in doing prints. Um, and then we also have these to, to even expand a little more. We have these uh, these um, print items that we're calling artifacts, um, mm -hmm. and they're kind of like little mini comics, books, little things like that, little. Um, Cool print objects. We have pins, um, and and the print objects are all by American cartoonists, which is pretty cool. Um, so we ended up just bringing a lot of different um, different people who really want to celebrate the character and Tezuka uh, to be able to work on this campaign, and it gave us a really nice um, kind of array of things to choose from. So it's been really cool, and we just love seeing it coming together. It's just been amazing. Yeah, I mean it. Uh, we've seen a lot of different Kickstarters and to see the, all the kind of artists jumping in really lets you know how special of a project this is and all the different uh, kind of different tiers and stuff. It's pretty amazing uh, what's available for people. Thank you. Yeah, it's basically, um, it, it was actually really, this is my first Kickstarter, right? Mm -hmm. I've never had a Kickstarter before, so it was, it's been kind of terrifying, right? Um, <laughs> you know, at least, at least for me. But it's like um, seeing 
it's been incredible because every time we go to somebody, we be like, hey, like, um, excuse me, famous person, um, would you be interested in possibly drawing a print of Unico or doing something for Unico? And they're like, absolutely. Oh my oh, God, yeah. I would love to. That's the incredible. And so there's no like, there's no like, please, would you? I mean, it's really, like, <laughs> yes, I would love to do this. And that's, that's why it's really just been like, I can just, um, uh, people have been asking like, how, how has it, how was organizing it? How did that part come together? And I'm like, it was just really nice to see uh, how excited everybody, how enthusiastic everybody was. There was no like, it, there was not one person who was just like, oh, I guess so. Like, you know, <laughs> and, and like, and with Peach, for example, Peach Momoko, uh, Peach Momoko, she ended up just asking if she could do three. Wow. So we were like, we asked her for one, and she's like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sure. Yeah. What a, I, guess. Yeah. I guess if you want to, yeah. that's fine. <laughs> yes, we were, we were like, uh, Okay. Yeah, so, we just want one. So you can take the other two and yeah. throw them away, I guess. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, we got a question yeah. here on YouTube. What other classic manga creators' work would you be into revisiting? Me, per- me personally? Yeah, you personally. Uh, oh, we don't uh, we do not do that. That's not a thing we're doing. <laughs> Sorry, that's a barely do this. That's yeah. a great question. I mean, like, I mean, like, wow. Uh, what other, I mean, I'm I'm a big, my, my whole entire thing is I'm, I'm re- I really, I really love Kezuka. Like, I genuinely mm. love his work. I mean, um, you Went know. to the museum uh, before you, this was even happening, so that track. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, no. It's like it's. I've been basically. It's. He's been kind of an inspiration for me for a really long time, and I think that mm. I personally think that some of his books, you can read some of his books and see every single trick in comics on display. You can see across anything. You can find that has a good book. It's really cool. Like mm. he just he he believed that comics were an international language, and that's why he also believed in collaboration and the idea that it was really great to. To have to iterate upon people's stories from different countries and different places, and to have his own stories iterated upon. So that's kind of why I wanted to work on Tezuka's work in particular. Um, so it's a great question. I haven't, I haven't really thought about if there's anybody else on the outside of this because there's a reason. There's kind of a reasons around why I, I feel um, possible to work on this. If yeah. somebody was listening to this podcast and they hadn't read any Tezuka. As an expert, where would you start? Like, what volume would you potentially point them to? For for Unico or for, um, for just in general? If somebody because here's the thing, Unico and then a... yeah, for yeah, Unico, so, Unico, 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 there are only the two volumes. So there are two volumes that are published in, in Japanese. I believe Digital Manga Publishing puts out a digital version of in English. But we're hoping one of the things we can do from this uh, Kickstarter is get a get the. Um, is get renewed interest in the in the in, the, in, a, in a republication effort for the new for for Unigo in English. Cool, that'd be really great. Um, but uh, for other Tezuka stuff, I think that um, so if you're looking for something younger, you know, something a little bit more or something a little bit more accessible in that that's not as you know, I, I suppose crunchy is the best word. Like um, I would try Dororo, uh, which is um, was made into an anime, recently adapted to an anime, uh, or um, Possibly, you could, you could always go with Astro Boy or, or something like that. Yeah, I, I mean, Blackjack is the most is the most famous book of his in Japan, but for some, yeah. and it's great. But for some reason, Americans have some trouble with it. I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Like they like it in Europe, 
they don't like it here. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, it's really hard for bookstores to be able to actually sell copies of, mm-hmm. of Blackjack. It's really interesting, but, but it's, which is the, the, the surgeon who's the kind of superhero surgeon is, is, is what it is, what he is. But um, yeah. So the, 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 I mean, if you're interested in really like getting on board with what, you know, Japan considers to be the most important, the, the, the most popular guys that go work, Blackjack's a really good one. Um, to start with, and my favorite is MW. That's, not, that's a much darker book. Not that you shouldn't read all of that, but if somebody was just interested in Unico, the new version, could they jump right into that? Or do you prefer that people check out the previous version before they check out your version? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you, if you, I mean, either either way. But I think at the same time, like, um, it's kind of like when people read Pluto, right? Mm-hmm. Um, by Nagi Arasawa. Like, you know, I think I think there were a lot of people who probably read Pluto, Pluto who had never read Astro Boy before. Um, right. You know, so, but uh, you know, right? Did, did, did you? Yeah. And then maybe you go back and you have can kind of get something from reading mm-hmm. the original. I think you know, for me, I'm like whatever gets you into the the idea of Tezuka's work or just, you know, um, that's, that's awesome. So whatever, whatever you want to read, but yeah. Cool. Growing up, we, I lived near the Canadian border in upstate New York and we, Astro Boy was on the Canadian stations we would get and we would watch that and be like, what is this? (laughs) What is happening here? So Astro Boy was one of the first cartoons I ever like really watched, uh, took in that's wild and you watched it yeah. with the canadian translation right yeah and that's very confusing a lot more like sort of moose and tim horton yeah 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 a a lot lot of of yeah, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah exactly. <laughs> that's speaking my language <laughs> uh sam thank you so much for coming on yeah, good luck with the kickstarter though it doesn't seem like you did you're scratching yeah, amazing oh, oh, right now. Be- before, oh, yeah. i'm so sorry before yeah, yeah, I, go, please. I, I want to say that one thing that was interesting about the manga conversation that was going on earlier with the manga schedule first of all yeah. it's true people do overwork themselves to death sometimes it's not good but second of all some of them also have full teams Mm-hmm. I was gonna they say, it feels like there's <laughs> another person working for that. <laughs> when they're serialized, they don't look. They don't look as the, the comics look different when they're serialized, and they get cleaned up later on because they're going so fast. So oh, it's like wow. there's, there's like different versions of. Anyway, it's a bit. It's a different kind of. Parent. Well, thanks for putting that out. Thanks there. for the follow up. That's yeah, cool. oh, that's good. Great I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Again, Sam, thank you so much for coming thank on. You. Good luck with the project. Lovely yeah. chatting with you. Congratulations. Great talking to you, man. Good thanks, luck, guys. Take it easy. All right, there we go. Once again, wow, Samuel man. Satin, and the book is Unico, which you can check out on Kickstarter right now. The Podcasting University, a podcast where we show you how to get started with your own podcast and make money from it through simple step-by-step tips, advices, and instructions. Listen into successful podcasters as they talk about their journey, the difficulties that they faced, and how they made it to where they are today. You can visit thepodcastinguniversity.com for more details. Leadership, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starfleet Leadership Academy. Its ongoing mission to develop leaders through Star Trek. To boldly go where no podcast has gone before. A leadership development podcast told through the lens of Star Trek, the Starfleet Leadership Academy, 
available everywhere you listen to podcasts. And we are going to move to our next section, which is my favorite section because you all make it up. It's your audience question. Oh, audience question. We have so many questions for you, the audience. That's how this works. We ask probably a a lot about your glasses and stuff, right? (laughs) Probably a lot about my glasses. If you want to ask a question, though, you all are already doing this. Drop it. Ask a question here on Crowdcast or in the comments over on YouTube. And in the meantime, while we're waiting for that, what are y'all drinking? Pete, what are you drinking tonight? What's going on? Well, it just from looking at the glasses, it seems like you get the anti-glare, which I think is important. Is that something that you get like a special tint or stuff that you get in your what glasses? Are you doing? Did you have like a commission from the optometrist or something? What's going on? Let me say, I think Pete has a lot of glare in his glasses. So I That's think right. he's, he's trying to yes. get a real... I, what I do, like this, is, talk, this is something uh, that a, came with the... This is a specs flex situation. I'll, I'll be honest. This is something that came with the glasses, okay? What I do is you pay a little extra and you turn the brightness down on your fucking monitor, Pete. <laughs> oh, wow. Great roast. We're getting hugely uh, roasted right now here, I think. Huge I'm roast. Yeah. So you don't get the... Uh, you don't. Get your the... eyeballs have a lot of glare, so don't talk about it, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's my soul in there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's flickering out. It's flickering out. <laughs> uh, Justin, what are you drinking? Are you drinking something else now? Seems like um, I'm drinking a Negroni. I have three bottles of liquor right next to my laptop. Ooh, that's dangerous. Yeah, that's dangerous. You're goddamn right it is, but I'm courting danger. I'm courting Excellent. danger. Pete, what about you? What are you drinking this evening? Oh, dude, you know, I'm drinking a little uh, vodka, a little peach pear, and just a splash of Gatorade. You know what I mean? Just a little bit. Nice. Now, what made you want to splash the Gatorade? Where you sort of think, oh, I need a little sort of electrolyte sousance here, or what happened? Yeah, yeah. You know, I was feeling a little tired, and I wanted a little, a little something extra in there. You know what I mean? Well, Gatorade, no. famously good at keeping people up. Yep. Great. Enjoy your salty juice. Let's go to salty some questions juice. here. This is from Jolene. With Moon Knight ended, it got me thinking about portrayals of DID in comic adaptations from Moon Knight to Mary Walker, Crazy Jane, and even the Hulk. What do you think about each interpretation? What worked and didn't work for you? First of all, this is Legion Erasure, but let's go ahead from there. Wow. 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 Nice. Love nice. Legion. Legion was, uh, was yes. a great show. Um, I mean, I don't think we're psychologists, so we're not necessarily qualified to weigh in or talk about this. But just in general, just to sort of set the tone, I'll say that I do think creators, both from a TV and comic book perspective, have, for the most part, gotten smarter about it and more respectful about it. Back in the day, back when... You know, we used to call it schizophrenia, among other things. I think people would throw it out as like, well, isn't this crazy? People have multiple personalities. That's nuts. And use words like that. And now they understand that, no, this is a legitimate thing that doesn't exactly work that way. Let's treat it more reasonably. Um, Justin, you were going to say something about it, though. Uh, I mean, I was going to sort of say what you're saying, where it's like back in the day, there wasn't a lot of um, you didn't have to be quite as faithful to reality when you were dealing with Mm -hmm. um, that. It was almost like. What if they ha- had uh, schizophrenia in quotes and that was the whole thing and it was uh, not great. Um, so I do think there is a little bit more exploration there in an interesting way and in taking these characters that were perhaps 
hastily constructed with um, that multiple personality uh, situation or disorder, however um, you want to refer to it, in, depending on the character. And then now it's becoming a little bit more of um, a way of looking back and fixing a little bit of what came before. Pete, were you going to say something there? No. Great. The other <laughs> thing, not to go too far afield, but I'll throw it out there as well, just because I don't think on our podcast or anybody who's listening or commenting on our podcast, but there's always a lot of very stupid discussion online about like, God, I want woke politics out of my media or whatever. But frankly, I think like we're saying here, things like more intelligence about DID lead to better and more interesting storytelling. Like rather than just having somebody who's like, well, it's two moon nights. The end, you can actually delve into it. And whether it's successful or not, that's obviously a different thing. But there's more of an opportunity to create more drama there, to create more introspection, to do exactly. something that's more intelligent and interesting. And I love that. To me, it doesn't have anything to do with like a political or like uh, wokeness uh, thing. It's more like, hey, I want to tell a better story with this. So I have to understand <laughs> what the details are of it. It's <laughs> right, like being exactly. like writing a story about dinosaurs and just being like, look at all those teeth. It's like, no, let's figure out what was going on there a little bit so we can get tell a story that makes sense and has some resonance to it. And I mean, although, I know we open this although, up by saying we're not psychologists, but at the same note, a lot of psychologists work under the dinosaur theory. Like, first thing they do yeah. is like, what dinosaur are you? Decide your teeth, then decide the rest of your body. And quick, let's shout out each of us what dinosaur we are. Oh, man. Uh, Wait, each other or ourselves? No, ourselves. Well, I would never oh, want to put um, a dino Pizza on. Triceratops, but go off, man. Go off, King. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> I was going to say Stegosaurus for Pete, but Pete. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, that's fair. Huh. That's fair. Huh. You say Pete. Uh, I was going to go with Pterodactyl, but, uh, you know, I appreciate what you're doing. You know, the you screaming know. bird of the dinosaur. Attracts <laughs> right. Alex. Oh, gosh. Uh, Diplodocus? Uh, is, that a, is that a thing? <laughs> I believe it's Diplodocus, but, um, uh, uh, but yes. What, what are you? Raptor, Justin? Nah, Ankylosaurus, man. I'm a fucking tank, kid. I'm coming in, wrecking shit with my <laughs> well, I'm sorry, big, big bone Ankylosaurus? Tail. Ankylosaurus, look it up. You check gonna, your dinos, dude. I'm Maybe gonna, an, uh, an ichthyosaurus, the, the dolphin dino with shark teeth. That's a yeah, check dino. your dinos, dude. Check, check your, your dinos, dinos, dude. Bro. Yep. Went to the uh, dinocologist the other day for an appointment. Oh, 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 nice, man. nice. Um, shout Did out to Kevin in the comments. To Kevin in the comments, who is um, only uh, bringing us dinosaurs, the television show answers. Uh, Pete is Earl Sinclair. Alex is not the mama, baby Sinclair. Yeah. Oh, and Justin is Fran Sinclair. So, Pete, Justin, you're married. Straight Bullet asks True, we are. You guys have had a lot of awesome guests. Is there a guest you would really like to have but haven't been able to get? Ooh, good question. Well, it'd be nice to talk to Greg Pock again. Can't get him. (laughs) We've talked to him a lot. I I know. The question. The question is looking deeper into someone that we haven't really spoken to yet. Gosh, I don't know. Uh, I feel like, I I mean, I'll throw out Jeff Lemire as one that we've put out a couple of times, but we're having him on the live show coming up in just a couple of weeks. So that worked out. That's a Jordan nice one. D. White gets a shot out from straight. Jordan Bullies. D. White is missed. It would be nice uh, to catch up with him, see how he's yes. doing. 
Jordan See when he's going to move on from X-Men and do something. Yeah, Kevin says William Marston. That's been very hard. We've dug up his grave several times, but he hasn't had a lot to say, to be frank. He's, he's a little to... tied up at the moment. Nice. Um, nice. I've been wanting to have the actual Cyclops on, not uh, just the actual character on. Mythological like... Cyclops? No, no, not the... Oh, okay. <laughs> that seems less fun. Uh, the X-Men. I'd love to hear the mythological Cyclops and what he thinks about Cyclops the X-Men. Yeah, be like, why he take my thing? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. I think we answered that question. This is sure. also from Stray Bullet. Uh, I don't know if you guys have checked this out. This just dropped right before the show went live. After seeing the She-Hulk trailer, in another rare moment of agreement, Jolene and I both noticed the CGI doesn't look great. I watched the Avatar trailer, and honestly, it's like watching an animated movie. Where is the line when it comes to practical special effects versus CGI? Great question. Um, I mean, I think the world is moving um, toward more CGI. Um, Because most people, I think most audience members, especially younger audience members, don't seem to be bothered by it. Avatar, the whole thing is like, look, we made this all up. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, we Um, invented cameras for this movie. And I think that's very cool from a technological perspective, but I do think that the storytelling in Avatar is pretty base (laughs) at the end of the day. So, like, I'd maybe put a little more effort over there. And I've been sort of talking down Avatar in general. No disrespect, but I just have never really gotten into that. James Cameron listening to our podcast right now, sobbing his guts out. Yeah. Well, he's probably under a lot of pressure. He has to write Avatar 9, the script is due to himself (laughs) next week. Interior Uh, desert now. Yeah. They're scared. Blue people desert. Very (laughs) hot. Yeah, it's good. Look at all those um, adjectives he's using. Uh, But I also think, like, um, I was talking about this today. Uh, The Book of Boba Fett as a series like had its watch, own problems no offense watch yourself. Team, keep it watch cool. your fucking self bro. but that was literally like a top tier star wars big budget project that was poorly made it was something where you just from a production perspective and a camera perspective it was like what why does this look so bad this should look better they had all opportunity seemingly so i do think it's easy to make mistakes with cgi or like ah we didn't cover that correctly for the effects we're trying to put in um, oh, we have to now roto scope all of this stuff out. That's time consuming and more money and problem. And it's not going to look good anyway. So I think there will be a return to more practical effects in larger projects as people start to come back to that as like a way of making something look cool without having to put as much time, effort, and mistake-driven things into their final product. Well, I'll throw two things out at you. The first one is apropos of what you're saying. There was a big article that came out in Vanity Fair today about the future of Star Wars on TV. John Favreau was talking about the volume, which is the light wall that they developed for John the Mandalorian, Pavis. and also for the Happy Hogan scenes, of course. Pete, yeah. we love those. They, uh, those are all CGI. Uh, Happy Hogan is a CGI character now, which is kind of incredible. You don't, most people don't know this. Afro but anyway, John Favreau was talking about the volume, and he was saying they developed this for the Mandalorian, and for people that don't know, this is the next evolution of green screen walls, so that they can create these digital sets, um, they can create these backgrounds. And what you're saying, Justin, which I think is absolutely correct, one of the issues visually with Book of Boba Fett is you could see the seams, the way that they filmed it, like you could see the bottom of the volume, yeah, and bad. part of that. 
might have been the speed they were going, might have been the directors not knowing how to deal with it. I don't know what it was, but it was very strange versus The Mandalorian, where clearly they have the extra time to actually make that stuff work most of the time. Um, I would also throw out uh, Star Trek Discovery is another show that's been using the volume and doing a very bad job of it, where it's just like, oh, you're on a set. Uh, I just don't like looking at this. So part of the thing is the time the amount of time before release that they can do it. But the other thing that I was going to mention, another series to throw out at you that uses a lot of CGI that I've been thinking about way too much and talking about way too much is Halo on Paramount Plus. And well, the reason I was going to throw this out, I was specifically thinking about this today is they're all CGI scenes look pretty bad when they have all of the Spartans and their full armor fighting aliens and watching that it's like watching somebody play a video game, which maybe is purposeful, but I don't think so. But the whole idea of doing a live action version of Halo is not to be watching a video game. So when you can get to a place like that, where you are using the special effects again, like on something like the Mandalorian, where they put the time and the effort in to the extra effort and to really, really make it work most of the time, I do think it's worth it, and it's a tool, and the thing that John Favreau was saying in this article is it takes half the time for them to do these episodes. And I appreciate that, but I also think the aesthetic of Mandalorian, and we're getting way too deep in here, is about, like, solo character in front of a wide, uh, you know, LED screen, uh, huge vista, like the old Western type thing. So the there's a lineup there with the way they're making it and what they're actually making. When something like Book of Boba Fett was not that. There were characters running around all the time. They were on like fast speeder bikes, but like it just didn't work because of what they were trying to do was different. And you had a director like Robert Rodriguez, who I don't know all of his experience. I know Spy Kids was a ton of CGI, but it feels like this was something that they didn't have their hands fully around when they were making that series. So I just prefer, I think, practical effects get if you understand it and you can really use it effectively and have the time and money to put into it. It makes for a better show because it's real and you you can do it there and figure it out there rather than be like, I think we got it. Let's wait and see what happens. Yeah, I just think it's one of those things where I saw the trailer and yeah, there are parts where uh, uh, she looked great. Um, uh, you're talking about She-Hulk now. She-Hulk, yeah. Uh, that's why I said she. Um, it was one of those things where... <laughs> Whenever you use the pronoun she, you're always referring to She-Hulk. She-Hulk. Go ahead. I no, mean, there, there no, is some truth to that. No, but when we're talking about She-Hulk and I say she... We have uh, not been talking about She-Hulk for the past 10 minutes. Go ahead. Oh, my God. <laughs> this is fun. This no, is Alex fun. Having conversation. I was specifying for the listening audience. Yeah, well, okay, great. Also, if you have a Paramount Plus shirt, you don't have to then bring up Paramount Plus. You, All you I'm get, saying is Paramount okay. Plus is one of the cheapest services and the most bang for your buck. You can get all of the new South Park movies on demand as well as Evil, one of the hottest shows on TV, and the entire slate of Star Trek shows. Go ahead, Pete. That's not what this is for. Yeah, I can't wait for the offer. Anyways, uh, I just think that... Oh, it's bad. It's bad. Uh, and also, just, it's odd, and they've done like six episodes. Anyways, I just think that it's hard because in the script, it's like, okay, a shot of her, but they don't know what it's going to look like until the end. So, you know, depending on how much money they have in the budget for certain shots, it can look... I mean, there were parts in Loki, which everybody thought was great, where it looked like... It, you know, there was like, oh, ooh, there's a couple shots in there that was just that can pull you out. So it's 
it's hard and it's a mostly in post-production. So, you know, well, you really got to be on the budget and making sure that you got time for those kinds of things, especially because the whole character uh, really depends on it. And I also think with a trailer, they might not be finished with the special effects. Mm-hmm. A lot of time the trailer will come out and it's just like, oh, that will look better in the show. It's just this. Let's hope this this in particular was something that they clearly rushed out. So just very briefly right now is Upfront's week when the networks present their upcoming schedule. They try to sell stuff to advertisers. As far as I can tell, I was not attending the Disney upfront, but it seems like they did not have much other than Kevin Feige coming out and presenting Marvel stuff, to be honest. Like, everybody was expecting them to present their Disney Plus ad-supported tier here. As yeah. far as I know, before the show, at least, they did not do that, uh, which is a huge miss. So they almost definitely rust out the She-Hulk trailer in order to be like, here's our new big thing. This is coming up. Also, here's Samuel Jackson to talk about Secret Invasion. No footage to show you. Enjoy. It is crazy. We talked Jots about it. So well, but like I think it, it is, it's true about these the way de- these deadlines work. I feel like we're talking deep industry stuff right now, but we talk about how slick, how these big properties, how much money goes into it. But a lot of times it comes down to, hey, we need something right now. Hurry. What do you have? <laughs> we have to show something. We have to give them a little snack. We have to give them a snack. What do we got? And it's like, oh, here's a bad version of something that we wanted to be great. But we're out of time. And here you go. Yeah. And it's yeah. Crazy. I mean, the timing is tough because it's like, you know, also like you get somebody excited for a show. But then by the time the post-production comes around, they finally gets put out who knows that that heat's still on it's like your show i'm so excited to see it now but by the time it finally comes out who knows you know what I mean? how like, dare you already I, no 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 i, I want to back up pete here longer. your show no, the cgi was unfinished go. it looked like it was adam pally and john gabris in there that could not be the final version no 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 i'll be playing both of those roles in the final oh, okay okay all right um, yeah, don't worry fun. uh well uh, pete you're talking a lot about post are you getting into post-production are you trying to uh, <laughs> Uh, well, I'm trying to step up. You know, I've been, uh, uh, you know, a line producer for a long time, and you know, I'm trying to eat my lunch. So I, I, I do love this. Lunch. Normally, Pete's like, I don't. You've, you're legitimately, you've worked on production, you've worked on sets, and you pretend you like worked you worked on don't. production more than both of us for absolutely uh, for years for years, and you pretend you're like, I don't know what's going on. This is the first time I've heard you talk about any production thing in like a decade. It's wild. Speaking of which, this ties nicely into a question we got here over on YouTube. Stanley asks, you guys seem to be great friends, but have you ever not gotten along and needed to take a break? Pete, that's a a question. question. Yeah, It's a big question for Pete. Well, yeah, let's let Pete think about it. Justin, you can go first. You can go first. Well, let me say, we've never really taken a break. Once we started doing this, it's been uh, like if this is a roller coaster, it's a long way to the bottom, and we are on that ride. We're the top. <laughs> you think we're going like this? I think we're not, we're on a big. We're just racing down. We're just like doing stuff all the time. Our my arms are up, and my the winds in my hair. Um, but let me say, we haven't seen each other all together in what almost three years, two two and a half years. Yeah. And this very weekend, yeah. we are going to all be together for a, at least one hour. Yeah, <laughs> no, no podcast. No, I don't know. We'll see what happens. People, we got to turn a mic on. We just got to hear us all in the exactly. Uh, but yes, that's going to be very nice. Very I'm, excited I'm to see you guys. I'm still just going to be asking and then, you and then we'll take an extended break. What's up? 
Oh, you're going to ask me about my glasses? I'm just going to still ask you questions about your glasses. I'm gonna Great use Marnie of our friendship and time for you to come and only ask you questions. But to answer it honestly, though, yeah. I mean, there are times where we have fought. There are times where, you know, people get busy and, you know, need some time off or whatever. But we try to be accommodating. The real thing that keeps us going is we have a ton of fun doing this. We're all very passionate about comics and comedy so it is something that ah, uh you know makes it all worth it at the end of the day oh, lovely that's very nice uh, this is from nelson martinez also over on youtube sorry if you guys covered it we didn't i'll say it in advance but how'd you like the boys season three trailer i can't wait love the show did you guys check out the new season three trailer for the boys um i love the boys i think um this show levels up so hard each season and based on what they're putting out there, I feel like we're going to get that again. Uh, it's going to be bananas. Yeah. I've seen, uh, I've seen a, a trailer. I don't know if it's the new, new, I don't know how uh, new we're talking, but man, it uh... yesterday, it came out yesterday. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've seen it. Um, okay. Yeah. I just think it's uh I'm very <laughs> Did excited. You think another see... trailer came out Ooh, yesterday. Mr. Production, come on, post-production, let's do this. The She-Hulk thing literally dropped like 10 minutes ago. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I'm i very excited for it, and it looks crazier than even the comics got into. So uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very excited for it. Yeah, I'm excited too, and I think part of the reason that I'm excited, which we've talked a lot about on Let's Hear It for the Boys, our The Boys podcast, is how shockingly on point it was with politics in the second season, which at least partially is luck on their part. But I'm very curious to see how much that lines up with the third season here. Obviously the, there's a lot of fraught political situations in the country. So if it is on point again and still makes it work as rollicking good entertainment, that's going to be super, super impressive. Well, let me throw out um, on that point. It is lucky to sort of, choose what you want to do for your show make it and then have that be what's actually in the news when it comes out bad luck for society maybe but i also want to say i think um the creative team behind the boys is also very prescient they're very like they it's a swing because if you're going to talk about like race um uh, white supremacy like they did in the second season of the boys and then that's a that's a, a big thing to do for a prestige superhero show on Amazon. Yeah. And they were like, this is what we want to do. This is what we want to cover. And then it just so happened that that's the, one of the major issues we're grappling with in our society at the same time that show's coming out and beyond. So it feels like really smart of them. And it is. But it's also just um, risk-taking and, and really pushing it. And I worked on the, um, the after show for the boys that aired on Amazon called oh, Inside yeah. the Boys. And hearing them talk about it and really uh, their, the care they take with with their creative. They've been working on this season for over a year. Um, and uh, <laughs> sorry, my daughter has some takes on race in America. <laughs> oh, they are aware of it and they're always working toward it. Yeah. Uh, oh, we got a question here in the comments. What happened to all the boys' hats? I think Justin's. You have them. I have them in my basement. No, Excellent. That basement uh, is scary. All right. We got oh. one last question here. This is from Kevin. What are other movies from your childhood you'd like to see remade in comic or other form? Well, I mean, the the last unicorn was 
so absolutely just kind of like traumatizing and magical that uh uh that's something that just comes to mind just because we were talking about it but man i'm trying to think of like um I mean, I'll throw out, this is a little bit of a cheat, but uh, Gremlins is one of my absolute favorite movies from when I was a kid. Absolutely terrified me, 100% completely. But there's a new animated series called Gremlins Secrets of the Mogwai that they've been working on forever that's coming out eventually on HBO Max. They finally teased the cast the other day, and it sounds great. James Hong is in it, Ming-Na Wen, a couple of other folks. Um so I don't know. I'm very excited about that just because I think like it's not going to go in the Gremlins 2 direction of making fun of Gremlins. It's going to go more into the like dark humor uh, vein of the first movie. So I think that should be a lot of fun. Very excited to see that. Um, I'm going to throw out some random. Uh, these are more TV or cartoon animated series. Starcom, you guys ever watch this? I'd love to see that brought to the comic book forum. This was a show that aired on, like, I believe the Family Channel in the mid 90s. Um, it aired on Sunday mornings, um, and it was like uh, this cool space show. Silverhawks, another one. Oh, uh, Silverhawks, uh, yeah. Uh, what about Mask? That? Was that Mask ever? Uh, uh, yeah, I, mean, no. I know that was based on the toy, but I don't know if it was ever a comic. Um, but uh, yeah, I love the intro to that uh, mask. Love. And then we know but Captain Bucky O'Hare was the comic. We know that. And uh, <laughs> I don't know if Goonies. Oh, I think Goonies was the comic. That's Goonies true. was a great, very easy to beat video game on the NES. I know that. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, super easy to beat. Goonies who you're talking about. Yeah, I'm it's talking about Goonies equal that they That was truly impossible. Nightmare. Nightmare game. Loved playing it. Never stopped playing it. It could have been it, harder but... than Castlevania. Oh, it's way harder no. than Castlevania. Castlevania. Goody's, Day, no. Goody's 2 was impossible. Goody's 2 was... I love it. Yeah, that was... Yeah. Castlevania, highly beatable game. Castlevania 3, one of the easiest games to beat that ever was made. Yeah, what about Castlevania 2, though? Castlevania 2 is one of my favorite games of all Great time. Game. What a horrible so night to have a curse. <laughs> <laughs> And that is it for your audience questions. We are going to move on with our next section, which is trivia. And for that, we're going to turn it over to Pete the Page. Oh, that's a horrible idea, but all right, let's do it. It's a horrible night to have a curse. Uh, This is the part we give back to you, the lovely audience. Ooh, we got a hand up right now from Mike T. Mike T. Bring Mike T. Yeah. All right, there we go. Mike T. Competing for a $25 gift card. To Midtown Who, Comics. Mike T was I have a cousin, Mike Tyler. Could be him. Oh, is wow. it? Nope. Hey, hey. Nice. Mike T. Mike T. In the place to be. Sound working well? Yeah, yeah. you're great. Oh, great. Perfect. Got some Funko Pops. Thanks a lot, guys. It's cool. Yeah, I got tons of stuff back there. Oh, I'm trying God. to organize everything. Ooh, Get my nerd space good. going, good. Yeah, it looks geek. What's the Funko Pop game up back there? What do you? What's your collection? Uh, too many Dragon Ball. Pops. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got some Dragon turtles up there as well. Nice. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Pizza mustache twirled when he saw him, so I knew it was. <laughs> All right, here we go. Today's trip is on topical comic news. And a small nod to the legend, Mike Haggerty, R.I.P. All right, please listen to all three options before making your selection. Here we go. Question number one. 
Marvel Comics and Blank are parting ways in July. Is it A, Ants in Your Pants, B, Conan the Barbarian, or is it C, Charles Dance? So it's either A or it's B, Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> I might go with Conan. That is nice. correct. That's Conan? right. Conan? Conan. Uh, Conan. Conan O'Brien. Conan. Uh, here we go. I want to read that Ants in Your Pants, Charles Dance. <laughs> whose creative team is returning for the Perry White solo title? Is it A, Barry White, B, Jimmy Olsen, or is it C, George Went? So it's either... Uh, what's B? that? You want to say B? Yeah. yeah. Is, yeah. Can it be correct. Barry White? No. Nope. Yeah, Barry White's nope. involved. The estate's involved. <laughs> okay. okay, last one. Whose rogue gallery shows up for one bad day? Is it A, Batman, B, Peter Frampton, or C, Barbara Crampton? So it's a. either A or yeah. you're completely wrong. Yes, that's right. Awesome. $25 Woo! is yours. Uh, congratulations. Thanks, uh, we're going to send you a $25 gift card to Midtown Comics. Just shoot us an email at comicbookclublive at gmail.com. We got an answer here. Kevin says the third answer is all point to Space Truckers. Is that that's correct, right. Pete? the 1996 hit space oh, truckers incredible mike congratulations mike enjoy T. your funko pops you can use the gift card for another one if you want up to you <laughs> just like awesome thanks a lot guys yeah, right, thank you yourself. thanks mike p All i right. don't i thought it would be impossible but it seems like trivia has gotten easier lately if too much puff in the fluff as we all know uh New comics are great, and we love them. Pete, yeah, what are you looking forward to that's coming out this week? I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to is Duo number one, Fables number 151, and the Shaolin Cowboy number one. Mm. Oh, wow. Pete really taking a lot of answers that he knows other members of this podcast would love to take. What about uh, you, Justin? I uh, want to shout out um, uh, Fables 151, picking up right literally right where the last <laughs> series left off which is as it should super exciting um as it should yes um i want to give it up for bolero number five as well over from image comics really been enjoying that series about um, um it's sort of a, a much more personal multiverse of madness and i just want to say mike t said it, it wasn't easy so you know he had to focus mm. and he, he, he did a great job oh that's great i am looking forward to i hate this place Number one, Image Comics, written by Kyle Starks, who is one of my favorites right now. That that's one I'd love to have on the podcast. We'll make that happen. We'll make that work at some point. That'd be cool. Uh, That's my white whale now, even though I just mentioned it out loud for the first time. Uh, But this book is great. Moby Dick. Yes. (laughs) He was like, like... "Uh, whales, I guess, right? White whale? I'll go after that. That sounds good. Uh, Kyle Starks, all of his stuff has been great. So always looking forward to a new title from him. And folks. That is it for this week's show. A couple of people we want to thank. We want to thank Sean Dicker for coming on. Check yeah. out Uncovered yeah. Grave. You coming should. out, I believe, 20 pages a week. Is that what we said? Something like that? Stop it, Okay, all right, Give whatever it is. Dead. Also, Rest. Samuel Satin, uh, Unico. Check that out Unico! on Kickstarter right now. 
So good. So fun. Next week, we're going to have a pack show. We're going to have two creative teams that are going to be here. Christian Ward and Patrick Reynolds are going to be here to talk about Image Comics' blood-stained teeth, which is yes. a very cool oh. vampire tale. Also, Ron Case and Vin Lavallo are going to be here to talk about Bite-Sized Archie. They're very fun <laughs> mini-comics that are going out on Twitter. Bite-Sized Bloodstained Teeth? It's a dentistry episode, guys. <laughs> there you go. We should have a dentist on. Get our teeth checked. What do you think? couple of other things to plug on our end. The Doom Room, our Doom Patrol podcast rolling out weekly on Thursdays, Not or you can get Doom all 34 room. episodes right now by pledging our Patreon, Riverdale After Dark. Our Riverdale podcast comes out after the episodes air on Sundays. Marvel Vision, our Marvel podcast, is in a hiatus between Moon Knight and Miss Marvel, but get ready for a new episode all about Guardians of the Galaxy coming yes. out tomorrow. Oh, great rewatch. So topical. Patreon.com slash comic book club to support this show and all the shows we do. Surprise on subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice at Comic Book Live on Twitter, Comic Book Club Live on Instagram, Comic Book Club Live.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, good night. Good night, folks. The song's over. Good night. Good night.